Welcome back to the At Home Podcast. Y'all, it is 70 degrees in February in downtown Wakarusa. It's two o'clock. And for some reason, we are sitting inside having a podcast recording and not outside. You know what I, you know what that tells me? It tells me we're committed to this podcast and to our audience. We are in. Because we are not out enjoying ourselves today. Well, it's going to drop. I mean, this is what's (laughs) so crazy is it goes from 70 to 30 degrees in like 12 hours of time. Which makes it worse. Yeah. Ridiculous. You know, it almost makes me want to not be outside just to not even enjoy that little bit of pleasure because it's just going to get yanked away tomorrow. There's no point. It's just going to go right away. Stay inside, hunker down till May (laughs) when this might stick around for a little while. Well, it is March this uh, weekend and you know the saying is March comes in like a lamb. It usually goes out like a lion. And so, you know, it kind of gives us a little bit of look to what's ahead. Mm. Well, friend, we're glad you joined us today. My name is Chris Knight, and sitting around the table with us today, Angie Brenneman, Dustin Eby, Brant Nine has the day off from the podcast, Man. and uh, he's probably out enjoying this nice weather. Probably I'm guessing, isn't. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but we know who we know who's committed. Oh, yeah. we know, you know. Guys, uh, we're continuing on in this Engage series, and uh, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about what it is to be on mission, what it is to engage. And this last Sunday, talked about a lot of different cultural shifts that began to take place in our culture, right? Talking about uh, all kinds of things from government unrest to political unrest to families in crisis. There just seems to be all kinds of different shifts that have been taking place. When you think about these shifts, what are some of the shifts you guys think about? Well, one of the areas that I kind of think through when it says when cultural is that you actually go out into society and kids um, sitting at our uh, table around our table, they have high opinions and they know everything. And that's one thing that has really probably been um, apparent to me having uh, these young adults in my household is they know just as much as an adult knows about um, what's happening in the world because they're on their social media accounts. They're seen, they're in um, all these different places. And I guess um, it kind of brings about a little bit of like, I'm not saying worry, but it does create a lot of anxiety in the kids because they know so much. And I think that's probably one of the biggest, they're not going to us to find the answers. They already have the answers on their phone. And so the anxiety and the depression and the worry and all this stuff just spikes in, um, in young adults, I think really quickly. Right. Yeah. I, I would say for my, my wife, Sharice and I, one of the challenges that we're, we're dealing with, and we knew it was coming. It's almost like you, you know it's coming when you start to have kids, but still it's like just the not necessarily being ready for the sheer volume of activities that you are going to be involved in and just all of a sudden being overwhelmed and controlled by your calendar. You know, and we just we had this conversation the other night. We feel like we are we are becoming professional uh, reactors where we just react to everything that's happening versus actually trying to be proactive and kind of set the schedule for ourselves. and. So that's something that we've we've tried to kind of fight against is to not just be another family that falls into the trap of being overwhelmed by by everything because that causes so much stress and so many different you know 
arguments and just there's a lot that comes with that. So we're trying to be really careful kind of about how we go about our week and the schedule and what our kids are involved in. But that's a that's even a challenge because it's almost like if you don't do certain things and you're going to be behind. And, you know, that's kind of like one of the 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 mental side of it of like, man, are we falling behind in these areas with academically or athletically, whatever with our kids or but. I think we're just trying to live at peace and be content kind of with where we're at. In your opinion, does it seem like culture is shifting faster and faster? Mm -hmm. Uh, Angie, you and I are are close to the same age. Uh, Doesn't it seem to you that maybe things took longer to shift when we were younger and now it seems like, man, everything's just changing so rapidly. I mean, if you look at culture, uh, music, changes so rapidly what's in style what's not in style um clothing changes rapidly you know you paint your house in interior of your house one color and then the next year it's like that is so old like are you even kidding me right now so like uh, yeah i don't even know what to paint it anymore you know Mm -hmm. it's it's how everything's changing so rapidly uh in our in our culture there's a lot of different areas that i think this is happening you you mentioned athletically are my kids keeping up athletically you mentioned uh you know academically i would say even socially are our kids staying up socially what is in in vogue socially right now uh how do i keep up with everything else that's happening and and actually maintain a healthy home in the midst of all this rat race of life. Right. And I think really when we say rapid, it could be a day, like something could go viral on the internet Mm -hmm. and within a day it could influence this whole, you know, change in a generation. And I I do say that, um, that that's one of the things that I think as our kids take in so much, it's almost overwhelming. Like a lot of times when I was a kid, I just remember, you know, you would watch the evening news, CBS or Tom Brokaw, you know, all those old names and you'd hear this news and you'd hear it one time and then you kind of discuss it. Well, now there's this other side. And I wanted to point this out is there's all these different tribes that have different voices. And so even then you're still trying to interpret for your kids what is truth out there? What is right? And so it's not only just the change of culture. I just think there's so many voices that um, as parents, we have to learn. One of our biggest jobs is help interpret what is truth and how do we even go about finding it? Yeah, there's a lot pressing in. That is for yeah. sure. Uh, if you looked at our culture today, how would you describe it? Would you dis- you what, what word would you say? Would you say uh, peace? Would you say on mission? Would you say fear? Would you say any other words? How would you describe culture today? What do you think the thumb on the pulse of culture says? And this is obviously a sweeping generalization. I would say rushed. It just seems like we're always in a hurry to get somewhere, to do something, to be not just live in the moment. And again, I know this is kind of in the immediacy of where my wife, Sharice, and I are, are at with our kids, trying really, really hard to not feel like we are constantly rushed. And when you when you, you have kids, you, you feel like that a lot of the time. So I just think that that's where we're at. And we're in this world where we're, we're rushed if we mm-hmm. don't have something. And it's not necessarily even our fault. I think it's kind of just the way that the world has gone because we are now where we can order something and we can literally have next day or even same day delivery. So we've got this thing built up in our mind. It's like, well, I I want it. I want it now. And because I've been able to get it now for a while. So it's just one of those those things that's been happening over time. Um, I'm going to throw two words out, but they're kind of dichotomies. Sure. And it's chaos and isolation. Huh. 
And I say this is because I think the chaos actually pushes us to isolate because we can't handle all the the noise, all the the crowd, the rush, the com- competitive nature of society and, you know, the career ladder, whatever it is, the academic accolades that we honestly go to isolation and we put ourselves out of that saying, I'm just going to keep with my my family. I'm going to keep with my crew. I'm going to, you know, find my one person and just kind of walk with life. I don't need anybody, you know? And so I do think that we have a very lonely society because of the chaos, which creates the individualism and the isolation over here. Wow. Good words. Uh, I, I would, the word I would have used probably was anxious. I feel like we're just anxious. Uh, you ever get to the point where you're anxious and, and it's almost like you're not willing to trust that everything is at peace because you're just waiting for that next thing to happen. What if Russia does this? What if our culture does this? What if this happens? What mm-hmm. if this happens in my family? What if? And so there's like an anxiousness ab- about culture. But one thing I noticed is neither of you said, you know, focused. Uh, on per- living on purpose, uh, not not rushed, uh, not concerned, uh, peace. Uh, those words just don't seem to come out in our culture, does it? Why is that the case? Hmm. Well, that's because I really think that we're peace is something that is from God alone, and I think we live in a fallen world, and chaos is. I mean, it's you know, truth, when Satan can do anything, he's going to do something to get us distracted from peace. And so that's just, that's just my first take is that there's no such thing as peace here because, you know, it's hard to find it unless you're in with God and in your spirit, really at peace with him. Mm -hmm. I think things, words like rest and peace fight against the the culture of today that says, well, you're just being lazy. Like you're just, (laughs) you know, there's so much, you only have so much time every day. You don't need eight hours of sleep. You only, you can operate off five or six. You have so many more things you can get done in a day. If you, you know, take less time to sleep or less time to do this or that, or you get up earlier and it just, it always feels like, man, why am I, why am I trying to do so much? Like for, at what cost, you know, this is really affecting me individually and as a family and in my marriage. So I want to make sure that that is not becoming a theme in my own life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, to the listener, this probably does not come as any kind of shock to you, uh, but Angie Brenneman has done her homework in preparation <laughs> for this podcast. And Angie, you pulled up a study recently yeah. done by by Pew Research. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that study. Well, the reason I um, kind of went into this is that I wanted to look at where are we as a society when it comes to spiritual life. And when we say spiritual, we're not talking about uh, Jesus spiritual. We're talking about spiritual understanding. Like, do I believe that there's a, a God out there, a greater being? And I think sometimes we think when we say spiritual, it's all about the Bible. It's actually not like that. And that's that's kind of the overarching view of this. And so they did this um, study in December, and it says um, overall, 70% of U.S. adults describe themselves as spiritual in some way. And that... For me, I was like, at first, it did. It, does that take you back? Like seventy percent—that's a lot of people. That's that's the majority of, like seven. There's only three people you're running into in a day when you run into ten people that don't believe that there's some other god or some other being out there controlling the universe. But then it says, um, including the twenty-two percent who are spiritual but not religious. So there's a difference. There's a different 
side of it, that there's another side of religious. Well, what's religious? Well, maybe belonging to a group or belonging to some type of community. Um, and, and it says an overwhelming majority of U.S. adults, 83%, say they believe that people have a soul or spirit in addition to their physical body. Wow. Okay, so let's bring this back to reality in our um, church world. Why is it so hard to have religious conversation? Uh, lack of confidence. Yeah. Unsure. Um, concern. Fear. Yeah. How will people accept it? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that if most people actually believe that there is a God and that we have some type of spirit, is that um, kind of, you know, easy to make a conversation with? Maybe start with a question. So um, many of you guys who are part of here, we have these booklets, these great booklets that um, we were given out on Sunday morning, and Dustin kind of wrote some um, different thoughts inside of it. And one of the thoughts, and this is what brought me to this uh, thought, is that week two is on mission, and that's what kind of what we're talking about. But it's about this man named Nicodemus. And when you think of Nicodemus in the Bible, many of us go to John chapter 3, and what's the most famous verse in John chapter 3? John, what? 3.16. We all know it. But the cool, I guess, thing that really stuck out to me as I was uh, thinking through being on mission, having conversation, was how Nicodemus, a religious man, he knew the stories, he knew the, um, he was part of the Sanhedrin, but yet he began to ask questions, questions that I think the majority of these people that are in this percentage would ask. Well, what does it mean to be born again? I think that that question of how can, a, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? That would be a, a really legit question, I think, in our society today. Yeah. I mean, here's Nicodemus. He was a religious person, yeah. right? So he's, he was a student of the scriptures back in the day, the Old Testament, the Torah, he would have been a student of this. He would have been somebody who would have promoted the legal side of, of things. And yet he was missing the reality of what Jesus was saying. Yeah. A reality that I think that takes a little bit, um, uh, takes me back to knowing, okay, if I run into somebody like Nicodemus, how am I going to start a conversation with that person? How am I going to be what we call on mission in life. And I, and I just, I bring that point out because I think in uh, John, you see some really good questions. And Dustin, wouldn't you believe that questions are one of Jesus's um, first ways to get to people to think differently? Would you agree? It, yes. And there are, <laughs> there's a number of times in scripture when he will just ask a question. Sometimes he'll just let it sit and kind of let it linger. And he doesn't really you know, you don't know how he's going to respond to it. And there's other times where he follows it up with an answer right away. And so I, he didn't just ask a question for the sake of asking the question. He was always asking questions to teach. And I think that's whenever he does ask a question, it's important to understand the context and what he's actually talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. If you look back into that time frame, what were people afraid of? We haven't talked about this uh, offline, so I'm just curious. Like, if you go back in, what would what would the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been afraid of? Hmm. Something that um, would be, I guess, um, unknown. Something that they couldn't understand. Because see, they were they were knowledge seekers, and so when there's something that went against the knowledge and the storyline, that kind of scared them. Like the unknown. 
is um, for somebody who studies and is in, you know, a, in, in the scriptures, I would think something like, I wasn't expecting this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what probably what they didn't expect or what they can't control. And I think Jesus, when he came and started living and being on mission and part of his ministry, so much of it, they had no idea what he was going to do. They had no idea what he was going to say, how he was going to respond. And a lot of times it went against what they had, had what they had always known. So that to them was probably confusing. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like they were losing control. They were losing, they were losing say-so. I think the average Jewish person in that time frame was living in fear of the Roman government, the Roman Empire. Will they continue to tax us, like we talked about last week? Will they oppressively tax us? Will they beat us? Uh, you know, in the situation as the story goes on in, uh, in, in the book of John, we see that Jesus had already been crucified. Will they kill us, too? Like, what, what is it? What is the fear? Like, I, I think the uncertainty of the day would have produced a whole lot of fear Mm -hmm. oh yeah and you're not only uh, afraid for yourself you're afraid for your family you're afraid for your way of life and i think that's the part that like you sometimes we get so comfortable in our everyday activities that we don't want things to change we don't want our taxes to go up or maybe uh, you know being foreclosed on because you know we have a house we're worried about where we live we're worried about what food we're putting on the table we're worried about our job all those things and so these guys they didn't want anything to change right so i think that i think you're you're alluding to the same thing i'm thinking and that is some of those same principles are true today we don't want to give up control we want normal we want comfort we don't want anything to rock our world, and yet when it does, we find ourselves almost surprised by it. And so my challenge is looking back, and I talked about this a little bit on Sunday uh, in the sermon, is the disciples. Let's take a look at them for a second. Jesus has been crucified, and the very next few days, they find themselves cowering in a room behind locked doors, afraid. And, and I think the fear that they were having was all kinds of uncertainty of the day. The uncertainty of what will people say about us? What will people do to us? Mm-hmm. What happens if we go outside this door? Are people going to start pointing fingers at us and saying, hey, you were with him. You were with him. Are, are they going to do the same thing they did to Jesus? Are they going to kill me? Mm-hmm. What is this going to mean? Uh, do I have to flee everything I know and get out of this area and go start a new life? What, what do I do now? I just spent three and a half years with the one who I believed was the Messiah, mm-hmm. who would ultimately take over. Some of them saw him as taking over a political mm-hmm. system. Uh, but, you know, dying? I think mm-hmm. that's such an important part of the story, too. And I want to stop there just for a second. Either of you guys seen the show? I mean, it's it's older now, but Fear Factor. You guys remember? Yes. That? Oh, yeah. That was yes. yeah, yeah. Oh, and the snakes and the spiders oh, and everything. <laughs> like my nightmare, but I love that show because I'd never be on it. But just the, watching it from afar, I was okay with it. But... It's interesting because it, as you're describing that scene, I think there are, and I, I want to make sure that I'm just not like just ripping the disciples for living in fear in that moment, because though, there are some legitimate fear factors, if you will, in that in their situation. And I think the what if question is one that is a very typical but normal fear factor that we all have in our lives. What if the money doesn't come through? Mm-hmm. What if, you know, I this medical situation we never get it figured out. What it, you know? What if? What if? We can keep playing that question over and over in our mind. And so I don't, I don't want to pick them apart and be like, how could they be f- having fear in that moment? I mean, this is before 
they, I mean, they had heard probably that Jesus was risen, but they hadn't had any, you know, experience with him yet, like being alive after he, he was crucified. So to them, there were still a lot of questions that they were trying to figure out in that moment. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Like the what ifs enter so, like we can let our minds go so many different directions when we say, what what if this, what if that? And I'm sure at that point, if they're sitting in a room, the door's closed. I mean, it's probably pretty... Um, much they've just sat there not knowing what is next i mean in a way kind of making what are we going to do like i can just in when we have a a kind of a family meeting when we have like something come up that's really heavy we all sit down there and you kind of have like a powwow and you're just like what's our next steps what are we going to do and i think that's kind of what they were doing and yet nobody had an answer nobody had an answer for what was next and yet the funny thing is they live for three and a half years with the answer right 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 isn't that i mean and and dustin you said it well right i i I don't want to criticize the disciples because i'm right there with them right and so it's not like i probably would have had a a braver moment Uh, i would have probably been cowering myself to be very transparent well death was a big big deal i mean it was real they just crucified jesus and they gave up Barabbas, one of the, yeah. you know, they called him the worst of the yeah. worst. And so they, they saw that death was one of the options. Yeah. So how in the world did they transition to a life on mission? That's a really great question, because if you go on in the New Testament, you see the incredible things they went on to do. Uh, I love the transition that happens here. Jesus, just to be very very quick in in this part of the story, Jesus shows up behind locked doors suddenly, and uh, and he shows them his hands and his side, the wounds from the crucifixion. He tells them, "Peace be with you." But he says something really interesting. He says, "Hey, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you." All right. It obviously took because what we do find the disciples ultimately doing is going out with a new sense of boldness. Uh, It goes on in the section of Scripture, I believe it's in verse 22, which isn't written in our sermon notes. I didn't even get into that part. But he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit, tells them the Holy Spirit is coming. This, This gives them the empowerment that they need to take with them in their job. So he he moves them from fear to peace to hope to to mission. So Angie, I'm I'm curious if we could go back to the Pew research and so mm-hmm. on, and you look at the numbers of people who claim religion, claim spirituality, why don't we find more people than understanding that they can cling to a peace and a hope and actually living a life on mission? Why is there such a discrepancy? And I, I said Angie, but I was just mm-hmm. going back to what Angie mm-hmm. was saying, but any of us, like, why is there that disconnect? Should we not be the most peace-filled, hope-filled, mission-focused people because of what Jesus has done in our life? And yet we have a tendency not to do that. Okay, so I have a, another word that I want to throw out there. Whenever Angie <laughs> says, okay, you know, something is about to happen. You know <laughs> there's, drop. there's a transition so, coming. Okay. So we use the word, okay. So we use the word intentional all the time. Okay. So we, we, we say, well, we have to be intentional. Like we have to like have purpose. Okay. What if I said that a lot of times this whole idea of spirituality and relationship with Jesus is not taken into the word I want to say integration in our lives is because we've become so separated 
in our faith is that we become where faith is the church. Yes. Faith is a institution, a body of somebody. Faith is not that. Faith I, is integrated into my life, my heart, my mind. Faith is day. a part of it's my life. Who it's I, not it, controlling yeah. my life. Yeah, it's it's integrated so deeply that I cannot separate myself from my faith. That's why we can't like we can be intentional all we want going to church. We can be intentional reading our Bible. Mm. And I say that because I know that we use that intentional word a lot and it's really important. But it has to be so integrated into our being that all of a sudden when suddenly Jesus shows up, we're changed because it's everything that we are. Right. Kind of the difference in, I'm a former youth pastor, so maybe this is why this just stuck out to my mind as you were talking about it. But like when middle school or high school, you go to lunch, you got all the different compartments mm-hmm. for each of your food items versus like a, like a chicken mm-hmm. pot pie, you know, everything, everything's all in there, you know? And, and I just think that it is very easy for us to compartmentalize our faith. And just to say, well, you know, and again, it's it's the popular thing to talk about. Well, let's not let what we learn and talk about on Sunday just stay there on Sunday. Let's actually mm-hmm. look for ways to incorporate that and have that be a part of what we do Monday through Saturday. And it's, it's yeah, I, it's a challenge for all ages. I mean, that's for sure. But it's one like where this is so clearly, it doesn't get any more direct than, than what Jesus says here to the disciples. <laughs> just as the Father sent me, so now I am sending you. And just to be in that room. I mean, can you, I just can't, I always try to put myself in those, you know, in those situations and just to think that I'd be sitting there and him saying, now I am sending you. And we have been sent. We look at the great commission and the responsibility that we have as believers, not to just go to church and be consumers, but to be people, to live on mission. And what does that look like for me? What does that look like for us? You know, I, it's, it's going to be a little bit different. The the method may be different, but the mission isn't. The mission is the same Mm -hmm. for every one of us. If there had been no resurrection, do you think the disciples would have been motivated to go out on mission? Uh, can I say no? Because, I, I mean, the resurrection changes everything. It does. Like, mm-hmm. because it changes how, I mean, it, who's in control? It changes. It it flipped the script. It said death has no victory here mm-hmm. on this earth because up until that point, the fall created this place where death was victorious for, you know, all people. It was going to win. You're going to die. And Jesus was victorious over death. And I think it changes everything. I think when they were in the room before Jesus showed up suddenly, which again, man, I would Mm -hmm. have loved to have been there when he just (laughs) was there suddenly. But their conversation was probably went from we thought to, oh, now we know. Like, you know, and I think that was what happened in we already we know we we, we've seen it played out we know what happens we know that we you know have the ability to live through the holy spirit and we have these things that jesus talks about and they in that moment they weren't sure so it was probably like well we thought this was going to happen we thought and now it's it's we know and that's the confidence that we can live in but don't you think that's faith in general don't we have those awakening moments that when we know like that jesus shows up suddenly for us and we know. Mm-hmm. I think so. I, I think there's a direct correlation between peace and mission. When I feel like I have the peace of Christ, I feel like I can be on mission. When I live scattered and wondering and worried and what ifs, I don't think I can live on mission to the to the degree at which he wants me to. And I think that goes back to helping us define what 
peace is all about. You know, I think in our culture, in our world today, we think peace means I am, I'm void of, of problems. My life is comfortable. If I have peace, everything's running smoothly. My car won't break down. That person won't treat me bad. This won't happen. You know, if I, and that means that I'm living at peace. But what if we considered peace as the presence of Jesus in the midst of our problems? I think then we can live at peace knowing we're going to have problems. This life is, uh, the rest of our days are going to be filled with problems. We're trying to create a culture that's void of, of any kind of problems. Well, we're always just going to spin our wheels. But if we as followers of Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, right? Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Mm-hmm. All right, great. That gives me peace. Now I can live on mission to accomplish what he's called me to because I won't get shaken every time there's a little bump in the road because I expect that there's going to be bumps in the road, but it's Jesus meeting me where the bumps in the road are that give me the peace to go, yeah, you know what? He's overcome all this too. I can now live on mission. Mm-hmm. I want to say that some of the most deepest conversations that I've had with people are people that have seen Jesus show up in the midst of the hardest, most difficult times and the peace that transcends in their life because of Jesus walking through it is so overwhelming that it's beyond our understanding. You Mm -hmm. know, when you, when, when you see somebody lose a spouse suddenly or a child or a situation and in the peace that comes, that Jesus comes suddenly into that it's, it's kind of, and I know that, um, you know, Chris, you've been in a situation where you've lost your dad and the mm-hmm. peace that comes upon you when you're grieving and you're in, you're in pain, that it's something you can't quite understand. And I think we try to, we try to pinpoint what Jesus's peace is supposed to be. And actually the scriptures tell us it's beyond our understanding. True. If you guys could put a bow on this topic for the listener, what would you say? What would you leave the listener with on this, on this podcast? I think it's this is such a a good topic, a hard topic, and it's one as we as believers, I think it's easy to just kind of just go right over because we don't like to talk about fear a lot because it's we don't really like to talk about the things that we're that we're afraid of. But I think having a conversation with somebody else about our faith, about God, about the Bible, anything you know in, in general like that is 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 hard. But I. As we're sitting here and we're talking about fear and we're talking about peace, just understanding that having the peace of Jesus in us and a peace that truly is beyond our own understanding should give us then a hope and a confidence to be able to, maybe it isn't starting with those conversations. Maybe it's just putting ourselves in situations to have those conversations. And maybe it's something as small as just being around somebody that we know doesn't know Jesus. And that may be a really hard thing for us to do, just being in the same room with somebody like that, or even having a conversation about something else completely unrelated, but just even being in a relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus may be something that's really hard, but just to trust, you know, that when Jesus brings those people along our path, that we do, we take advantage of those opportunities to be like, you know what, Jesus, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I have no idea how you could use somebody like me with my past, with my... I don't, you know, I, I don't know as much about the Bible as a lot of people do. I just have no clue how this is going to go. But just to trust him and say, you know what, no matter what happens, no matter how this goes, I have peace. And I know that, like, this is what he wanted me to do, just being simply obedient to his calling in my life. I think when I think of the word mission, I think of a couple um, ideas that we're on mission, and this isn't by myself. I think sometimes we get so... Um, 
on our own track minds thinking, oh, I got to do this or I got to accomplish this. This mission is for God so loved the world. We're, we're on mission on a big team. And I think sometimes we forget that it's a team game, even as parents. And I think, Chris, you and I can both say that it takes a team to raise young adults to be followers of Jesus. And I think we forget sometimes that it's not just me. There may be somebody, I may plant the seed, somebody else may water it, and somebody else may see it grow. But it's a team effort. And I, and I only say that. So with that, that gives me motivation that I want to do my part. I want to I be part of the game when I'm, when I'm called in. I want to be, I want to be there. I want to show up so that if that person that I'm sitting beside at a, you know, a football game or a basketball game or a swim meet, that I have a conversation with them that whether it's planting the seed and maybe the next team player takes it up in the next, in the next game. And I, I guess that's probably, um, listener is probably just a challenge to be, be, be a team player, be in it, be ready, you know? and um, know that Jesus is going to show up. He does. Our culture is in chaos. If I could sum up what I think this is getting at, our, our culture is in chaos, and it's needing followers of Jesus to engage. Uh, you look at those statistics, and clearly, if that many people understood what it is to follow Jesus, we would look very different in our culture today. Uh, but we need more and more followers of Jesus being able to say, I'm going to live on mission, setting aside the what-ifs, the concerns, the cares, the, uh, the I don't know how this is going to be received, the I could probably never do this, and just living intentional in the lives of people who do not know Jesus, and being that one link that might point them to Jesus, uh, knowing that in this world we're not going to have peace. It's not going to be possible uh, to have the peace like we can find in Jesus Christ. Uh, I am longing for eternity. I can't wait for that day to come. But in the meantime, I want to be busy on mission. And I think that's where we need to see our culture shift. And that is followers of Jesus get in the game, be mm -hmm. engaging, setting aside the fear, clinging to the peace that only Christ can give. He says, I give you a gift that no one else can give. It's, it's a peace that you don't even, you don't even comprehend because the world can't comprehend it. It's a peace that I can give. I can give you hope. Now, go out on mission. And I think we should take our cues from the disciples who ultimately left that upper room and went out, ultimately even gave their lives for the gospel. Mm -hmm. But I'm sitting here today because they did. That's right. Mm -hmm. What generations are coming behind us that need us to engage our culture and model what it is to follow Jesus? Listener, listen, that's a lot to talk about in one day. Uh, and yet at the same point, we, we want you to go on this journey with us. So we're going to continue talking about what it means to engage and how we can do that in our culture. So until next time, because we are going to go outside where it is 70 degrees, because tomorrow it is going to be a 10 degree wind chill. And so we're going to leave this podcast studio and go and enjoy some good weather. But until next time, we wish you all the grace and peace that can be found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.